Hey everyone, Greg Wells here. Just wanted to take a moment and let you know that we have an app. During lockdown, uh, when everything sort of shut down, we put all our efforts and energies at Wells Performance into digital because we had to. Uh, clearly, I wasn't doing any public speaking around the world, so things needed to change. So we took something that we'd been working on for about three years sort of in the background and brought it to the like urgent forefront of what we were doing. And uh, we put all our efforts and energies into finishing our app. Uh, so I've had a number of PhDs working on this for many years. I've got Ming Cheng Tsai doing data analytics, Jessica Caterini doing the medical side of things, Evan Lewis doing the work on nutrition. I've been doing some stuff on on sleep and Sarah Thompson's been working on the kinesiology side of things. And we have built this app. We, we call it Vivio, V-I-I-V-I-O. That's Latin for life. The website's V-I-I-V.io. So Vivio. And we built an app that tracks your sleep, nutrition, exercise, and mindset using all the latest tools and technologies that are available in uh, iOS and Apple Watch. So it's built currently for Apple Watch and iPhone. It basically allows you to track your sleep, track your nutrition, track your exercise, track your mindset. And then we built an algorithm that gives you individualized recommendations based on your own results. I basically built an app that I wanted to have that had everything in one place. So I don't have to have just my, you know, my workout tracker and then my sleep tracker. And like, it's all over the place. We built one that has everything in one location. We used the latest research to build the scoring mechanisms. We score actually every single one of those areas. Eat, sleep, move, things gets a score out of 10 on a daily basis to give you a sense of how you're doing uh, against the latest research and the top thinking. So we're pretty excited about it. It's uh, definitely for biohackers. It's definitely for people that are really interested in you know, pushing the limits on their health and well-being and performance, which is probably you if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, introductory, the basic version is free, so you can check it out. Absolutely free. There's no cost. Uh, the pro version gets you the daily tips and access to your history if you want to see how you're doing and improving. So if you want to check it out, you can do so. No cost. If you want to get the pro version, we would be infinitely grateful and uh, just so privileged to have your support on that. So check it out, viiv.io. It's Vivio. We'd love to hear what you think of our new app that we built during lockdown. All right. Hope you're good and please enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. So psyched to have you here for my podcast this week because we are going to dig into biohacking and recovery and regeneration with Dr. Bill Wells, who is the co-founder of Urban Athlete. He holds his BSc and honors level BSc from St. Mary's University and is doctor of chiropractic uh, with, from the Canadian Memorial Chiropractic College. He has extensive experience treating athletes of all levels. He wants to help others safely achieve their physical health and athletic goals and really works at that uh, from the perspective of being both a chiropractor and a practicing athlete himself. He also enjoys and excels at endurance, athletics, and multi-sport and balances a lengthy list of past accomplishments with an equally impressive list of future endeavors. Let's dig into that a little bit. He was a member of Canada's top adventure racing team, Supplier Pipeline, a multiple Boston Marathon competitor, a death racer, which is a 125-kilometer trail ultra marathon in the mountains of Alberta, a crash B competitor, which is a world indoor rowing championship, world city chase and 24-hour orienteering competitor. I'm kind of dizzy just even reading all of that. 
Bill then went back to his youth as a triathlete to complete his goal of finishing every triathlon world championships, including Olympic distance, duathlon, long course triathlon, half Ironman, Ironman, Kona, and Xterra Maui. Wow. Upon achieving this lifelong goal and even winning the race in caps, Ireland's one, uh, Ireland's and one of the world's toughest endurance race, he's trying to regain some speed now. He's competing internationally as an 800-meter track athlete with the University of Toronto Track Club. His 4 by 800 relay team's broken the 40-plus national record, but he's still got some work to do, which is his main goal right now, to break two minutes for the 800. And his favorite quote is from T.S. Eliot, only those who risk going too far can possibly know how far they go. Lest we ask another quote, is there nothing Dynamo Bill can't do? Rest assured, there's a kink in the armor. Bill professes an avid enthusiasm for music, but has very little musical talent of his own. So we don't dig into music. We just hit, dig into all of his athletic accomplishments and how he manages to do that as a master's athlete. So we talk about all the recovery and regeneration techniques that he's using and that he recommends for his athletes as a practicing uh, medical practitioner, practicing medical practitioner. Yeah. Anyway, so without any further delays, here's my conversation with my friend, Dr. Bill Wells. Dr. Bill Wells. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Really appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. I've been a big fan of the podcast for a long time since the, the be better days. Oh my gosh. That's like a very long time. So thank you yeah. like massively in advance for that. I really appreciate it. Um, so let's get into it. What, it, what are you up to these days? Like what does work life look for you? How are you staying fit in these, in these very interesting times? Like what's, what's going on in your world at the moment? Well, things are, I hate to use the, the phrase new normal, but things are actually going quite well. We were shut down for two months for April and May. As a chiropractor, I was deemed essential I didn't have hours, but if someone needed me, I live close to my office, so I would ride my bike over and meet them, but it might be one person a week, two people a week. It was pretty minimal. I was a little worried about how I was going to handle this, just because I, I like to be active, and we didn't know how this is all going to play out, but it actually worked out well. I got my running mileage up. I was pretty fit. I lost my, I trained with the University of Toronto Masters Track Group and that all ended, but I was able to go to a local hill and do hill repeats on my own. I would go to some of the trails, mostly when it was raining because otherwise it was a bit busy, but um, I played a lot of piano. I'm on my 19th book since the pandemic started, so I've made wow. pretty good use of my time. That's cool. And yeah, and things have worked out well. Right on. So how did you, first, I, I'm sort of curious, can you tell everyone about your practice? And the reason why is because I want everyone to understand like what the Urban Athlete's all about, how you guys approach things, because I, I love your approach, but also because I think it's worth getting into how you ba balance a successful career, a family, and staying fit, which is not the easiest thing in the world to do. So how do you, how do you, First of all, what is it that you that you all do at Urban Athlete? What's your approach? And then maybe we'll just dig into you know how you balance everything out and and pull off being successful despite having a super busy life. So Urban Athlete, we've been we're actually celebrating our 15th year of since opening this year. Right around almost exactly now, the end of October, 15 years ago, we opened, and we are a group of chiropractors, and we have four chiropractors now, two physiotherapists. 
a few personal trainers and massage therapy. Things have changed a little bit with the, the, new, the new COVID rules on how, um, how we can manage brooms and different colleges and their rules. But that's basically the core of our group. We started out as we wanted to be athletes treating athletes. So we've always kind of kept that as our, our vision and our mission. And so we're, we're all pretty fit athletes ourselves and just try to help. We always say we treat athletes and then treat the mom of an athlete or the next door neighbor of an athlete. So it's pretty general practice, but we we're pretty fortunate to have a lot of pretty cool high level and local athletes come through. Right on. And how do you balance a successful practice with reading 19 books, learning piano, staying crazy fit, training? You know, you've got a fam. Like, how do you do it? How do you pull all of that stuff off? Well, I actually don't have a family. My Someone once told me you can do two of three things well, family, career, or athletics. I seem to have picked career and athletics. Um, but I, I really... I've been trying to really focus on recovery. So I do try to get to bed early. I try to do everything I can to increase my recovery, but I still, I work my work schedule around my training and my trying to be lifestyle. So I've, I've been, I guess, fairly successful. I've been able to do, get a lot of stuff in and I, trying to cut down my television time and my Netflix time. So I've been, <laughs> I like to think pretty successful with that, especially since the pandemic. Right on. And talk to me about your training history. Like what, what does that look like? How did you get into fitness? Let's go right back to the beginning and pull all of that, that out. And, and the reason why is because I'm really interested in eventually getting into recovery, but I want to put it against the background of of your fitness, your training background, like what you're actually doing to, to push your body? So I was, I'm very lucky. I have two very active, very fit parents. And so they forced us, whether we wanted to or not, I was in minor hockey. I was in minor baseball. I played a lot of junior golf. We did gymnastics. My sister did a lot of figure skating and gymnastics, but I was honestly a kind of a lazy kid. And so one summer between grade eight and grade nine, my family were on a trip to Lake Placid, New York. My dad and I went for a run. And like I said, my dad's quite fit and I wasn't and essentially faked a knee injury to be able to stop running. And he was so disappointed in me. I thought, okay, I have to change things. And so the next year I signed up for the Terry Fox run and I watched the Why Iron Man on TV and thought, okay, I have to do this at some point. And I had a bit of a crush on a girl on the swim team. So I thought, okay, I'll join the swim team. I could swim with one arm out of the water only. I was put in a lane with eight and nine-year-old females. And I was starting to get chest here and with swimming in the lane with little girls. And my dad came to watch the first practice and he thought, there's no way I would stick this out. And sure enough, all through high school and first year university, I swam up to eight times a week and started doing, I did some junior triathlons and was able to, out of Newfoundland, able to travel a little bit for that and go to nationals and a bit of international racing. Then undergrad, Halifax, I ran track, then chiropractic college in Toronto, switched to marathons. Then uh, a friend, our mutual friend, how you and I met, 
Steve Topham, his old girlfriend at the time asked me if I wanted to do this adventure race. And I thought, oh, that's silly to do a race that lasts for 36 hours without sleeping. <laughs> but she said, we may be sponsored by a bike shop. So basically I sold out for bike gear and did a 36 hour race. It was an interesting experience. But the next year, an international race was back in my hometown in Newfoundland. So Steve and I and his old girlfriend and another friend put a team together, did that, learned a lot about the sport and a lot about myself, and then bounced around teams for a couple of years, ended up on Canada's top team. And in the early 2000s, when there was lots of prize money, lots of races around, got to travel internationally and do a lot of multi-day, multi-level adventure races. And actually, I don't know if you've watched the Eco Challenge that's on Amazon Prime. So without spoiling it for anybody who hasn't watched it, the Canadian team that did very well, the two members are Scott Ford and Bob Miller. And those are the guys that I raced with for many years. And most of the top 10 teams were guys I raced against 10, 15 years ago. So it was really fun to watch that. That's very cool. Yeah, then I decided to put my hand in triathlon again, got a coach who actually you are talking with at her group tomorrow. Aisha Rollinson was my mm -hmm. triathlon coach. She helped me train for half Ironmans. And then I did an Ironman. Luckily I was able to, I had a great day and qualified for Kona on my first attempt, did that. And that kind of all my, all my childhood wishes came true. Then I went and did a, a race called The Race in Ireland uh, the following March. So I did Ironman Tromblon in, sorry to make this long-winded, but Ironman Tromblon in August, Ironman Kona in October, and then March did a race called The Race in Ireland, which was 23K of running, 15K of kayak, 100K on a bike, drop your bike, climb to the second highest point in Ireland. It's like a, a small ski hill come back down, back on your bike for another 75 kilometers, and then run 43 kilometers. And you had 24 hours to finish that, and it took just over 15 hours. It went quite well, but that I was just, that was enough. <laughs> okay. So then I switched to, I well, I actually, I wanted to go back to Hawaii to go surfing, so I luckily qualified for the Xterra Off-Road Triathlon World Championships in Maui. Then dropped it all to become a middle distance track runner. And now I run 800 meters and 1500 meters. Oh my gosh. High school kids and university kids. Okay, <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And okay. So that's, that's pretty intense, obviously multi different, multidisciplinary, many different sports. Um, love the, the story of you picking it up, you know, early on because the influence of your parents, that's cool. What, what do you think about, these days, recovery and regeneration. So for anyone listening who's into any level of training, I think recovery and regeneration is huge. As we were talking about before we got on the phone, um, in our corporate work with Wells Performance, we have uh, you know hundreds of people that we work with in, com in companies and we do assessments and we found that 30% of the people in our programs report having some sort of an ache pain injury of some kind that they're they're dealing with whether that's low back pain or knees or something and so i've become very fascinated by obviously recovery and regeneration for sports but also just recovery regeneration and body maintenance in general 
uh, tissue health, basically. So obviously, you're the expert in that. So what are your thoughts these days on recovery, regeneration? What are you doing? What are you interested in? Uh, you know, where can people let, let's just yeah, let's explore what people can do to take care of themselves. So I really think it comes down to a playing the long game. So not trying to rush fitness and rush increasing mileage and speed and b being so mindful, especially now as a master's athlete, being so mindful of recovery. We basically for every hour. So I'm actually doing a a one mile running race today, an off-road one mile race. And I will probably warm up for an hour before the race to run for hopefully less than five minutes and cool down for almost an hour to recover from running for less than five minutes. So I, I think that's the key to longevity in and being an athlete, especially as we get older, is to just be mindful. Like it starts from when I wake up in the morning. I have my, as as I know you do as well, have my aura ring and get my performance score for the day. And I have a sleep app, which tells me the different sleep. Actually, I've tried your Vivio app and I've been enjoying that. Oh, cool. And, Thank you. And I also have an HRV for training app to also get my uh, my performance score to see if I'm supposed to have an easier day or a hard day. So it starts with that. I've taken up what the last four years I've been into mindfulness and meditation. I use my Muse headband, which I know you have as well. I think I've missed 12 days in four years. So trying to calm my mind for that. And then make sure I get good nutrition. And if I before my workout, if it's if it's just an easy run, I'll just go out the door and start a little easier before I pick things up. But if we're doing a workout, I'll try to have my two mile just easy run just to loosen things. I'll do my classic running drills, like my, my A's, my B's, my C's, my lunges some activation techniques just to increase mobility, to get the muscles neurologically firing, to be ready to go for a harder workout. Then I'll do my workout. Then we'll do a two mile run. Then I'll come home and I've become a bit of a, bit of a scientist and a test project for myself. I have power dots, the TENS machines. I have compression boots. I have um, the stick to and foam rollers to I'm basically everything I can to be able to get up the next morning and to do what I need to do, depending on what the activity level is. <laughs> it's become my second full time job. <laughs> oh, no, yes, sounds like it. <laughs> um, OK, let's get into some of these possibilities. Tell me what you're discovering from the Oura Ring, from sleep tracking, what's working, what's not working, what's, um, what data are you getting that's helpful? Tell me about, about what you're discovering around sleep. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. I have tried to hack my sleep environment. So I'm, I've got the blue blocking glasses. I've got the 68 degrees in the night. I've got the weighted blanket. I've got the blackout blinds. I I bring my phone in, but it's not allowed to be facing up. As soon as I get in bed, I have to read a book. I, and so if that gets thrown off, 
my deep sleep gets thrown off, my sleep recovery score goes off, my if I have some red wine or any kind of booze, my heart rate will go from 40 to 42 up to 50 to 52. Uh, so that's been quite interesting. It's it's unfortunate that it's alcohol is such a nice social thing. I'm not, I know. not a big drinker, but it's a, yeah. it's a good good part of my social circle. And then my uh, if I do a late workout when I was swimming, if I didn't get to swim home from swim practice until eight or nine p.m., if I didn't have magnesium and some melatonin, my heart rate variability scores were really thrown off, and my deep sleep was thrown off. And yeah, and if I just can't allow my nervous system to stop jonesing, I, it really affects my sleep. So I have to be mindful of that. Very. Um, so 68 degrees, weighted blanket, blue blocking glasses. I've been using the true dark ones from Dave Asprey, just if anyone's interested, yeah. check those out. Um, is there a type of magnesium that you use? I know that there's some that are better than others when it comes to sleep. I'm just curious if you've dug into that at all. I've gone through a few. I was using the calm powder for a while, and I liked that, that I could just kind of chug it, but uh, just add it to a warm water drink and drink it. But sometimes it would make me pee in the middle of the night. So then I just went to a local pharmacy and got a magnesium citrate. It was okay, but then I switched to, um, I guess, a higher quality magnesium glycinate, and I find that does make a difference. Excellent. Just because we're digging into the weeds, why not? Yes, yeah, <laughs> we'll, exactly. we'll go deep on this one. Yeah. Tell me about HRV. What are you monitoring there? How's that helping you? And just for anyone who's wondering, um, I, heart rate variability is very interesting. It's uh, basically it measures the activation of your nervous system. We have parasympathetic system that's involved in recovery, regeneration, sympathetic system that's involved in stress and performance there's a balance between those two and you can get at the balance between those two by looking at how variable your heart rate is more variable meaning that you're more relaxed and less variable meaning you're more stressed so you can dig into that a little bit with heart rate variability so i'm curious how you're using that bill and uh, what are you finding so every morning i put my finger over the back of the camera on the phone to get a one minute the aura ring captures my heart rate variability overnight, whereas the heart rate variability training app gets it in the morning. So it takes my heart rate for a minute, then I go through a series of subjective question and answers to talk about my pre previous day's mileage, my uh, TSS score, so my training stress load uh, compared to my mileage and time if I've had alcohol the day before, if I, how my sleep was, and then it gives me a nice graph and some colors to tell me if I'm in the red where I should take it easy that day. If I'm in the yellow, I should be a little mindful or green and just go full gas. So then it has a bunch of insights to compare my training load, correlations between heart rate and heart rate variability, the changes, the trends, my estimated VO2 max, and then summaries and polarizations. Oh my gosh. So, and what app are you using for that? Just out of curiosity. It's called Heart Rate HRV4T. Okay. And I've been using it. I went to a sports medicine conference. You might have been, no, um, 
uh, you might have been speaking. I know Alex Hutchinson, who's a good friend, he was speaking at that one, and a guy gave us a rundown on it. And so I thought, yeah, I'll do it. And cool. that was like four or five years ago, and I've done it basically every day since. Right on. I follow we actually... it mostly, but I, if I was to have a Thursday night workout and it said I should not, I probably would still go to the workout. But yeah. it may be a confirmation bias why I had not a great workout that night. And so right. okay. it's been Cut it. to see how that works too. Um, tell me a little bit about your mindfulness practice. Uh, I've used the Muse headband. I've used Headspace. I've also gone to the mountains in India and experimented with some pretty crazy stuff up there that we won't get into now. Um, so, but I'm fascinated by how much better my, my mindset is when I am consistent with my meditation practice. I'm curious about how you're using it. What are you finding? Uh, let's dig into that a little bit. So I, I wanted to start meditation because I heard a bit of a funny story. I went to a Buddhist shala one afternoon and we were sitting in a circle and there were probably 10 of us and a leader and he was going to send us through a guided meditation. And he asked everybody what brought them to meditation. And it was really nice and interesting to hear this one person had OCD and this helped him with meditation. Uh, meditation really helped him. Another person had some some past trauma and meditation was the greatest thing for him. And then it came to me and I felt like a bit of a poser. And I, I don't regret saying this, but I said, oh, I read a study that meditation can help performance. So I wanted to see if I could be a faster 800 meter runner. <laughs> yeah. so, unfortunately, that's how I started meditation. But then after four years, it's just a nice thing I do on my own. I was doing various times throughout the day based on my work schedule, but now since COVID, I've done 20 minutes every day. I'm on a 330-day uh, uh, continuous process. Streak, and I've yeah. Only missed one, I missed well, streak, sorry. I missed one day because I was in Sicily last year, and because of traveling, I couldn't fit it in. So otherwise, I would be on a two-year two streak. But I can't quantify what it does to me, but people notice that I I can I need to talk less. I'm just I feel more like I have less road rage. I feel more calm and focused before races. And it's just a, a nice thing I do. If you ask me, do I win meditation? I would say most days no, but I think because I know that it means I'm winning meditation. Like I'm I'm focusing on my breath and Breathing has become such an interesting thing. I know it's your PhD. I read James Nestor's Breathing. I read Breathology by uh, Stig uh, Severinsen. And just tapping into our vagus nerve through breathing. So even if I get nothing out of meditation more than just 20 minutes of focusing on inhalation and exhalation, I, I think that's quite a valuable thing for all of us. And I went through a bit of a Thich Nhat Hanh, he's a Vietnamese monk. I went through a bit of a phase reading his books. And he has a nice thing where he says, during meditation, he says, breathe in, I am happy, breathe out, I am relaxed. So if I find I'm losing my birds in the muse headband, or I've got a monkey mind, if I go back to that, and focus on my breathing, trying to do longer exhalations, I really feel I'm, I feel like I'm just doing something good. Not quantifiable, but good. 
I really like that. I'm happy on the way in and I am relaxed on the way out. That's a neat little mantra yeah. to use. Yeah, I I went down the, um, oh, the, oh, I forget the name of the, the meditation where they give you the mantra. Transcendental. Yeah, transcendental yeah. meditation. I have some friends do that. And I even called a guy about signing up for it. I was willing to pay the thousand bucks because I was all in on meditation and he never called me back. And so and I, I figured that was the world telling me I didn't need transcendental. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. yeah so my, that's the universe conspiring <laughs> to yeah, help you out there and save you a thousand bucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about nutrition. What are you doing around food? Um, I'm super fascinated by anti-inflammatory nutrition at the moment and would love your take on, on what you're doing around nutrition. So I played around with intermittent fasting the last few months and I've become to enjoy it it's uh, I was always one of the when I was a chiropractic college one of the things we were told was for inflammation stay away from the prostaglandin E2s the milk meat and the margarines huh. and now I'm waking up and I'm having a coffee which has MCT oil and grass-fed butter so I've blown that out the door and now I'm adding I'm adding collagen powder to get my my 20 grams of protein and collagen supposed to be good for us as we age. And then I don't have anything else. So I've kind of blown intermittent fasting because I've had 130 calories, but I still feel I'm fat adapting and I'm not having any carbohydrates. So then I have I call breakfast for lunch at noon, which is an oatmeal based cereal that I make up on my own with oatmeal, flaxseed powder, and chia seeds. I've been adding uh, creatine just because uh, they. I was told and I read that the three things that have actual science behind them are our three C's, our carnosine, our creatine, and our caffeine. So I'm adding creatine to my breakfast. I'm adding beta alanine when I'm in race season because there's my carnosine. And but I don't know if you've played around with beta alanine, but some people get the uh, paresthesia. Yeah. So I just had my breakfast for lunch 15 minutes ago. And so now my face feels like when you shave and then go for a run, like I have that burning in my face, my fingers are a little tingly, but it's supposed to help. So I'm on the path. And then I'll add, so sorry, back to the cereal, I'll add a scoop of natural peanut butter or um, almond butter, and then a scoop of protein powder. And then I just add some water to go with that. That's my, that's my breakfast for lunch, I call it at noon. Then 3 to 3.30 p.m., I usually have an apple and try to get some protein. So either some leftover chicken or some, I've been buying uh, free range grass fed eggs. So I'll have a few boiled eggs. And then dinner, I've made a, and I've heard you've done this as well, I've made a conscious effort to keep meat in my diet, but to have grass-fed and finished beef I, from Ontario. So I have a, a meat delivery service once a month. And so I'll either get uh, beef, lamb, or uh, chicken, or bison delivered. And so that's my meat source. And then I'm a big fan of green leafy vegetables. So that's my, that's my typical diet. Wow. Um, 
Love it. And it's quite consistent with what I'm hearing from a lot of people. So that's good. What's your take on organic versus non-organic? I, I'm not an expert, so I can't make an intelligent comment, but I treat a few Ontario farmers and they say that the rules for Ontario farming and sorry for, I know you have a worldwide listenership, but for the, the Ontario rules for farming are quite strict. And so I feel that as long as I have Ontario and at least Canada, I'm not, it's not as important to go organic versus inorganic. And so if I, it's not, it's not a big thing in my, in my grocery picking, I would rather try to go time of year and local than necessarily organic from Guatemala, nothing against Guatemala. Yeah. Okay. Um, Good to know. And I'd love to know about your warm up and warm down around your workouts. And I think I'm now, so I spent most of the summer swimming and paddling, which for me is just like, it's my home. And so when I'm in and around water, I don't really, I just do stuff. And that's what I did all summer because it was nice. And I just wanted to be outside. Now that I'm getting back into running again, I'm noticing that I really have to do a warm up and I probably should be doing a lot more on the cool down side of it. So in terms of staying healthy, performing better, and being consistent, I'd love to know more about the specifics of how you get ready for your workouts and how you recover from your workouts, just in terms of activation and mobility and those sorts of things. Well, it's it's interesting in the world now, because we were always told that you needed to do your warm up and cool down to get the blood moving and get the fascia loosened. They've kind of shown that that doesn't matter as much as we thought. Like when you, 10 years ago, when you'd watch a hockey game after I watched the Tour de France, after they were sitting on the spin bikes and doing their interviews while on the bikes, it's, I still like, I've been doing it my whole life. So I will continue to do it, but it's, there isn't a ton of science saying that we need to do the, the classic stretching after and before the classic easy run. But I still like, I'll, like I said, for a workout, if I'm just leaving the house and going for a run, I'll probably just start off a little slower and then kind of ease into things. But for a workout, I will do my kind of zone two. So heart rate below 140, 150, just to do two miles. A lot of it's just to, to catch up with my buddies, to see everybody trading stories about the day. And we're all kind of nerds about science and running. So just what the, the articles, things that people read during the day. Then I do my classic, like I said, my classic A's and B's. It's more of a neurological firing and just to get some range of motion. And then we do some 60 meter strides. That's the research now says that's supposed to help Again, get your neurology firing. As I found as I get older, the first interval of a workout is always the worst. So if I can get the first workout, the first interval done before the actual intervals start, I like to think I got the bog water out and so I'm ready to go. And then we'll do our workout. And then, and I usually I'll warm up in a pair of just regular training running shoes. And then I'll switch to racing flats for the workout just because I'm trying to keep up with some really fast guys. And again, there's science saying that changing footwear is good for our feet. And then, uh, and then, well, if we're doing fast stuff on the track, then I'll switch to spikes. 
And then for cool down, we'll usually, again, there's a social aspect of doing a mile or two and just kind of trading more stories about the workout. And there's actual science, like Steve Magnus in his performance book will say there's just as much science and performance enhancement behind being social after a workout as there is doing some stretches. And so we'll do... We'll do a mile or two cool down, usually to get back to the cars. And then I'll drive home, try to get some calories in me because I'm out of my 7, 7 to 8 p.m. try to shut down food window. So I'm trying to get food in just as much for that as my getting my, like my, the classic get your nutrition in window. Because apparently even the, the, 20, the uh, half an hour to hour get your protein in window and calories in, even that's extended to 24 hours, unless you're doing another workout within eight an eight hour window. And then I'll sit and catch up on some TV and some emails and I'll either use the, I have the compression boots, I'll put those on and or the, those power dot uh, uh, tens unit just to kind of get the, the muscles going and get maybe some of the blood out. And sometimes it's just a nice thing to do. I have a routine of about three or four stretches I do. I'm not trying to excuse me, necessarily stave off injury, but when I see the Kenyans running, they have a much larger, greater stride than I do from many years on a bike with my tight hips. So I'm trying to open up my hips just to <laughs> be a better runner and look better in running pictures. <laughs> and um, not just for the picture, but they all it's for the instagram likes but i get it i get it yeah yeah <laughs> um, and i will foam roll and just again that's just a nice thing to do it might be getting more blood in might be loosening fascia we're not really sure the jury's still out but i feel i'm doing something better and it it seems to help my my sleep scores so i will continue to do that and yeah and then try to get to bed um want to know about tens units and compression i have not been doing compression i'm fasting my tens i have actually just recently gotten a theragun which has been i love it i i've looked into the research on it i'm not convinced that there's adequate science to explain why i feel so good when i do it so i'm just going to be like i like it i don't know if the research proves that it works or not um foam rolling is an absolute game changer for me um, when I did, when I wrote Super Bodies, I looked into compression and I wasn't convinced on that one. So I, I've been uh, sort of neither here nor there on that. I know a lot of people love it and the tens units. There's all sorts of things there. Can we dig into that? Like, have you tell me a little bit more about your thinking around what you're doing in that space? Because I think that's an area that is super fascinating and, and I can optimize. So I'd be curious to know more. So I I do find I'm using the compression boots less. I I'm not as if I if I'm having a like a large training block and my legs just feel beat up, then I will use them while I am having my dinner, watching TV, just to kind of for whatever it's doing. I like to think I'm it's instead of me. It's hard to eat with your legs up in the air. Like Tim Noakes, his he thinks for Steve Magnus thinks going for a beer is the best thing you can do after a run. Tim Noakes thinks thinks the best thing you can do is put your feet up above your head for ten minutes after a run so it's hard to eat and put your feet up a wall so if i can use the compression boots for a half an hour i feel i'm doing similarly uh the big thing that i forgot to mention is 
when I finish my workout and get home, I use a kettlebell and do some eccentric strengthening. I have had some hamstring troubles. Every winter indoor track season, I seem to hurt my hamstring. And I find if I do one-legged Romanian deadlifts, so basically keep your back flat, stand on one leg, lower slowly, the eccentric movement seems to protect my hamstrings. And then I'll do heel drops. So again, go up on your toes with the kettlebell in hand and slowly lower down on one, up on two, down on one. I find that keeps my Achilles in check, especially when we're using track spikes and you're on your toes more. So yeah, I was... I forgot to add that. That's a, that's probably the most important thing I do. But to go back to tens, the uh, and I'm certainly not affiliated by it at all. But uh, Power Dot is a new thing you hear on a lot of podcasts. It's a tens machine, so it's a trans electrical stimulation, nerve stimulation. So I put it on my muscles just to send a pulse. Uh, the old physio clinics, you'd go and you see people's legs like twitching and shaking essentially that and they think they're it's shutting down some of the pain signals and uh, nerve signals going into the muscles to help them relax it's uh, I, I do find it helps if I have that if I have some kind of an injury I'll put that on and just like for a half an hour and this power dot it has you it's all through bluetooth on your phone so you pick an area and it tells you like you answer some question how you're feeling about it like how your legs are feeling if it's low pain do this length if it's and they'll even set it up for you and so i find that's uh that's a nice thing to help my legs feel a little better and help them recover for just in case i have to do a workout the next day i'm looking at it right now and it looks like there's um yeah that's interesting i've not actually looked at that one yet so i'm going to check that out when we we um get off the call. I'd love to know a little bit more about like, what do you think happens when we do foam rolling? Uh, what's your take on fascia? Like how, because I've been hearing a lot about that right now and the importance of fascia. So maybe we could just explain like what that is and, and how we could potentially optimize that part of our bodies as well. If, if we can, we may not be able to. I'm just curious. The, for people who don't know, the fascia is basically the saran wrap carry, uh, outside of all of your muscles and underneath your skin. And when I was taking anatomy courses, it was something to cut through to get to the muscle. When you looked at any kind of anatomy book, it was always peeled away to show the, the nice pink muscle. Now they've learned the last 20 years, they've learned that it has its own vascular network. It has contractile properties and it's, it's a sheath around the muscle and it actually ties muscles in together to create almost slings in our body. So there's a connection between your right outer leg and your left shoulder all through fascial links. So there's no way, it's, it's kind of become the new thing to be a, a fascial therapist. We're not sure if the fascia has, it can be affected through a foam roller, but it again, it, it's a nice thing to do. People feel nice doing it. So it, it kind of doesn't matter if it, if it actually were affecting the fascia or not. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, totally. So it's doing something. We don't know if it's fascia. If it yeah, feels good, it, great. So exactly. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> we need more research. We'll figure it out. 
Um, anything else on your radar that you're interested in, that you're exploring right now, that you think has potential that people might want to keep track of over the next little while? Uh, I also do have a Theragun, and if I if I have an injury, I will use that as well. I find I, I use that while I brush my teeth in the night. And so I, I am a fan of Theraguns. There are some new things coming out, like there's the, the PEMF, it's Pulse Field. Oh God, we have one at the office and I uh, have to Google exactly what it stands for, but it's supposed to help with inflammation and work on a cellular level. And I've been playing around with that for the last few days, and it seems to do something. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate that we don't have as good knowledge on a lot of these things, and a lot of them are new. So we're still, we're, we're, we're learning as we go. Uh, um, pul pulsed electromagnetic field therapy is what um, yes. I understand it might be. So... Looks like there's some research on it, but not a lot. So not a that's lot. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You basically lie on it and it ticks and it's supposed to improve some kind of function. It might improve some kind of work on cellular level. So I'm just playing around with that. Okay. A shockwave therapy has been one of the better things that are out there for things like a, a tendon issues like tendinopathies where things that I haven't been able to get at working through muscles if there's a, a tear in a tendon or an inflammation in a tendon just hitting it with a, a pulse shockwave seems to uh, that would be one of my go-tos if someone if other things weren't working I had that on my Achilles and it basically healed my both my Achilles tendons a couple of years ago. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. So that that's that's probably one of the best, more well researched things we have going right now. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's a pretty comprehensive review of your routine, your strategy. I think that's incredibly helpful for everybody. Uh, so many options for people to explore and build in. Obviously. Uh, you know, you can't do all of that at once. So pick and choose little things, build build this up and, and ultimately craft a recovery and regeneration strategy for yourself, depending on what you're doing and what your goals are. Um, but Bill, I really appreciate it because that was a pretty deep dive into your life and how you construct your health and well-being and training and still manage to perform as a medical professional. So thanks for sharing all that with us. I really appreciate yeah. it. It's my pleasure. It's It's so interesting in the world now but in your world, the world of podcasting and, and conferences, we are able to hear from some of the greatest speakers, most the greatest scientists, all in our headsets or on our phones. But I really have to, and this is what I appreciate about you and guys like Peter Atia and the like the science, more sciencey podcast is they cut through the bro science because it's easy to get caught up in bro science and clickbait science so I, I really try i'm willing to try most things if you if you told me eating some dog poo would take four seconds off your 800 meter time i would probably get out a knife and fork <laughs> but i really i really try to like i say cut through the bro science to get where there is actual science so i i applaud your 
your ability to get that out to the world. Yeah, well, and thanks for contributing to, to that and getting your science out to the world. So I really appreciate it. If people want to connect with you online, how should they do that? <laughs> it's funny. I hear that on all the podcasts all the time. I don't have Instagram. I don't have Twitter. I don't use Facebook. Um, you can find me on the Beltline or the Mount Pleasant Cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, well, you found me on LinkedIn, and I, I honestly don't know how that works because I don't really check LinkedIn. And when people ask me to be their friend, I just click yes because who am I to not be someone's friend? But yeah, I guess the way you connected with me through LinkedIn or just my our uh, our clinic, theurbanathlete.ca, that's probably I'm I'm a little under low key that way, which is could be why I, I get a lot done in my day. But yeah, well, we're learning more and more about how important it is to compartmentalize social. I'm now considering that I broadcast on social, but consume as little as possible. I like LinkedIn to message people that I'm connected to because email sometimes get at, gets out of date. So um, I applaud you because if you're not scrolling through your social media, you're probably out for a run, which is where you should be anyway. So it's better. Uh, yeah, I've, I've done a quite a deep dive on podcasts. I think I have 30 that I go through and now I'm up to three times speed to try to get through them all. And so I like to think I'm, I'm learning so much and have been deep diving in so many different areas, which has been fantastic. So I, I'm a big fan of the podcast world as opposed to the social media world. Yeah, I am too. Although it's interesting in COVID, I haven't really been consuming podcasts nearly as much because I'm not in my car. And that's why I discovered where I was spending most of my time listening was in the car. So um, I got to find another way to, to, to get back into podcasting. Maybe it'll be in the winter when I'm on the treadmill. I need yes. to kill some time when I'm doing it that way. Bill, uh, thanks so much for taking a, the... Sorry, go ahead. One last story. I bought, I bought a, wire, a waterproof Bluetooth speaker so I can listen in the shower even. So I've, Wow. It's, it's a deep dive. <laughs> yeah, that's, an, that's next level. Yeah. Um, Bill, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. It's great to speak to you again. Um, yeah, I yeah, loved our ride well. last summer. Can't wait to go yeah. out for a ride next summer. Yes, anytime. All right, take care. All right, yeah, be well. Okay, bye-bye. All right, everyone, I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Bill. Thank you so much for listening in and sticking with us to this point. If you're interested in recovery and regeneration, uh, my latest book, Rest, Refocus, Recharge, is basically all about that. It's everything that I could find on heat, cold, meditation, mindfulness, like every recovery and regeneration modality that, that I could discover and find some research behind is in that book. So if you want to pick that up, I would be infinitely honored and grateful and appreciative. If you enjoyed this episode and you know some athletes who are training who might benefit from learning about this, especially master's athletes, feel free to share the episode with them. Comment on social at Dr. Greg Wells if this was helpful. And if you can give us a review on iTunes, that'd be super helpful as well. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening in, and we'll talk to you again really soon. Stay healthy and safe, everyone.